Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Jeff Diamond sat in these meetings where he decided who's going to be the next head coach, who you're going to draft, who you're going to send free agency. He joins us now as we peruse through uh, a new general manager with the Minnesota Vikings. Jeff, thank you for joining us. Hey Mike, how you doing? Good yourself. Good, thank you. Tell me, tell me what what it's like for him right now. Did you, you, I think I think he already has his head coach hired. I think that that was all part of the process. The committee hired. He interviewed all these people. He talked to them about the same people. Do you think? Do you think I'm right about that? Yeah, I think I think certainly they have a good idea what they want to do and and whether they want to have a second interview with the new GM with with the coaching candidates. And I'm sure they've got a couple finalists in mind. And yeah, you would you would think that's the case, but it's difficult to say. It's just it's been a weird process this year. I think yes, with the whole hiring cycle, and usually the jobs are snatched up in a hurry. And it seems like this year's it's been a very slow process. And and uh, but things I, I did think things were, were going to pick up this week, which they have. And, and obviously with the Bears and the Vikings, yeah. Reaching its deals with their new GMs, but I think you're right. I, I'm sure they're they're locked in on a couple candidates, and and but I would suspect they still want to have some second or final interviews with a couple of these people with the new GM on on the horn with them or in person. Who would you hire based on the finalists that are the people that they interviewed, knowing what you know? Well, I think it's, it's difficult because I, I kind of felt all along in the modern day NFL that. I expected them to go offense and, and go with a, an offensive coordinator type of a coach, and and which is why I was a little surprised that that Eric Bieniemy uh, was not on that list. Never surfaced, did he? Yeah, and, and that, that tells you there's something there. I don't know what it is, but there's something there. And of course, he used to coach the Vikings, so the offensive coordinator for the most productive offense, you know, uh, in the AFC right now. But there, there's something that somebody there saw that they don't like. I think. Yeah, I, I think you're right because it's, he's been talked about for so many years but perhaps maybe ryan poles in chicago with the kansas city connection is going to go that direction we'll yeah. see and, and so i think that i i would expect it could it could well be offense but then again then you have some of these defensive coordinator candidates like D'Amico ryan's really interesting guy and and dan quinn too what he did in dallas this year so perhaps they're going to go that route and try to get a high-powered offensive coordinator in here but but I would I would certainly prefer that they hire someone on the offensive side of the ball that that has that that expertise and can maximize in this day and age of of, of these high powered passing offenses and and then be able to as I say maximize the Justin Jeffersons, the Adam Thielen's, and, 
and so forth. What would you do about uh, the contracts, the existing contracts? If you're the GM and you look at it, would you try to move money around within the contracts? Would you say, we're going for it next year, we're playing this thing out? What would you do? Well, I, I think when you look at, at the fact that there were seven playoff teams this year that were not in the playoffs last year, it shows that it can turn around in a hurry, and the Vikings were only one game out of a playoff spot, ultimately. And so one more made kick in Arizona, for example, and they would have been in the playoffs yep. in, the, in the wild card round. So they're not that far off. And I would think that from that standpoint, you have to take the approach that, hey, we, we want to try to fine-tune what we've got, try to maintain what we've got, and, and then do, do some, some good drafting, figure out our secondary situation, plug up the offensive line situation, and especially the interior group, and then kind of go from there. But I, I think, obviously, the first difficult question is Kirk Cousins' contract. And I, I kind of felt that they would try to get one more year out of Cousins and maybe draft a quarterback sure. potentially in, in the first or second round this year and, and kind of groom that, that player and, or have them compete with Kellen Mond for that spot in the future. But who knows how, how they approach it because Kirk Cousins, is he, he's still a pretty good player. He, yep. We know what he is. He's, he's, not Kirk, he's not Patrick Mahomes. He's not Josh Allen. Yep. But we know who he is. But, but let me tell you, there, there's a whole list of people behind him too. Exactly right, and, and so if they do decide to trade him, I think he does have value, and there will be teams that would be interested. But then but, you're stuck with, I mean, this whole conundrum. I mean, okay, you, you know, I hear about, you know, well, you, you perfect time to trade Delvin Cook, hey, get uh, Cousins out of here. Well, pretty soon, what are you playing for? I mean, are you going to constantly just rebuild? No, exactly right, and that's why I say I expect them to keep Cousins and maybe get another young quarterback in here in one of the first couple rounds, and and also compete with Kellen Mond and see what you've got there, and then throw it open and see. And if all of a sudden Cousins wins the Super Bowl next year, then you got a different deal to deal with. But chances are he's going to be what he's been in the past, and, and maybe you move on after next year and get a cheaper guy in there that then you can build around and, and be able to beef up in other spots but have that young quarterback. That's the ideal situation in the NFL when you've got a quarterback who is a very productive on his rookie contract, a, a Joe Burrow, for example, yeah. or, or Mahomes when he was there, or Russell Wilson when he was in Seattle, and those teams were able to build around those players. And yeah, plus they they got all that time to lock that guy up. They don't hit free. You you can you can craft a deal and work with them to, to get them long term when you know you got something special, right? That's exactly right, and that's what Kansas City did with Mahomes, and and he keeps delivering. So <laughs> I, I would certainly think that's what they're going to be shooting for, and with the new GM is going to be shooting for. But, yeah, he's got his hands full trying to fill out his staff, trying to start preparing for free agency in the draft, and, and as you said, first of all, hiring that head coach. So there's a lot on, on his plate coming right out of the gate. And as far as his qualifications and how good he's going to be, well, I guess we're going to know in about three years. Yeah, because you look at the resume, and there's just not enough there to judge him by. You you, you don't know when a guy has a position like that, and Jeff, you can speak this a little bit, they may or may not have been heavily involved in the draft. They may or may not have been heavily involved in identifying free agents. You have to live in that building to really know what they did, right? That's exactly right, and, and that's, that's what you don't know, how much input that he had on certain personnel decisions and and so now it's going to be on him to figure it out and make these right choices and and if you draft a kicker in the fifth round 
such as Daniel Carlson, don't cut him after two weeks. <laughs> 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 We've seen some things here with the Vikings. Yeah, some interesting things. So if, if general manager, most give you a multiple choice. Most important thing you can do, hiring the coach, uh, draft, or free agent signings. Which one's the which one's the most important thing? And I guess hand in hand with free agent signings is managing the cap. Yeah, I think I think first of all you've got to get the right coach in there who's, who's going to be a leader and who's going to command the respect and and bring fresh ideas and all those type of things. I, I think that's first and foremost. And then you start addressing all the other issues that are coming up down down the road, which are pretty quickly in terms of, of personnel and, and draft and free agency. Uh, there's a lot going on, but first yeah. you've got to get that coach in there. Yeah, and, and plus he's got to figure out, you know, you know this, but aside from the coach, there's a whole bunch of other people that work in that building that are football-related. Some are not, some are. And you got to figure out, Amongst that list, who stays and who goes? And to the public, they might not be household names, but they're very important inside the organization as to whether or not he's going to bring in new people for those positions or he's going to part ways with or if he considers people to be a liability to the culture. Exactly right. And so he, he's, I'm sure, doing his due diligence now in evaluating the staff that's in place and then try to go from there. Just as the new coach, when that person's hired, is going to look at the existing coaching staff and the, and the people that are under contract these assistant coaches and see who they may want to retain or not. That's a lot in a short time. Hey, Jeff, we know you got to go. Thank you so much for giving us some of your time. Hey, thanks, Mike. Always great to talk with you. Take care. Yeah, you too. See you out there soon, I hope. I mean, COVID permitting, <laughs> we'll, we'll exchange pleasantries at some point in time. When we come back, is being the head coach of an NFL team the toughest job in all of sports? 53 guys, 53 egos, 22 coaches, all trying to become head coaches, most of them, and you got a general manager you may or may not like. I'll answer that question, and it may surprise you when we return on Sports to the Max. The NFL is a big giant, so that, that, that coach that you hire, whether it's D'Amico Ryans or Nathaniel Hackett or Todd Bowles, whoever it is uh, that the Vikings decide to go with, uh, you have to look at their body of work. Now, the coordinator is a little bit easier because they, um, uh, they're closer to being a head coach. And, you know, Bowles has been a head coach. Raheem Morris has been a head coach. We bring in Doug Peterson, which they haven't yet. He's been a head coach. Uh, so those things are important. Uh, and I long thought that the NFL coach was the toughest job of all. Bill Parcells said something great to Mike Zimmer when he'd give him advice during his coaching career. He said, every day there's going to be about four or five things that you have to deal with that you don't want to deal with that come from nowhere. And if you can't do that, then you you really can't be a head coach. you got no business being a head coach. If you can't accept the fact that things are going to come out of nowhere that you didn't anticipate that aren't any fun to deal with that you have to deal with. They're, they're either a major crisis or a minor crisis, uh, but they certainly are not, and they prevent you from doing what you want to do, which is coach and make the team better. And if you can't handle that, then you, you you really have no business being a head coach. And I can remember Ron Gardenhire when he was managing the Twins, and he said that Tom Kelly had given him one piece of advice. He said, every day you're going to have at least one, at least one, something that, problem that comes to your office that you are not anticipating. And it comes from nowhere, and you can just about count on it at least one every day. A player has a problem because fill in the blank. Uh, whatever it is, 
and, and, and he said, you, you, you need to prepare for that, even though you can't prepare for what the problem is. You need to prepare for adversity in that you need to accept the fact that things are not going to go your way. I know a business, the business was doing fairly well, but the person hated managing the employees, hated it because the employees lied, the employees stole. All those things were true. Uh, and, and all those things could create a great deal of self-sympathy. Uh, but when I talked to this person about it, I said, you knew that when you got into this business because you'd been told that. You'd been told you can't trust the employees. It, it, it's cash business. You knew they were going to steal from you. And, and you're still making a profit, but it bothers you so much that you deal with, with these employees that are less than scrupulous, which they were. Less than scrupulous. And, 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 you, and, and you had to deal with that, but you're still making a profit. And so you either have to learn. They're not changing for you. And if you fire them and bring in some more of the nature of the positions that, you, that you're hiring for, they're going to be the same. The next group's going to be the same. They're going to lie to you. They're going to steal from you. They're going to call in sick when they're not sick. It's a cash business. You're going to have to watch every move. But if you can't deal with that, then you can't be in this business because you're not going to change the business. There's going to be crisis in this business every day. And, and, and can you handle that? Can, can you handle the fact that you're not going to ever have a perfect day and it's not going to ever be exactly the way that you plan it. Can you do that? Because if you can't, then get out of it or don't get into that business. One of the biggest mistakes that people make that, that either want to become a head coach or go into business by themselves and be the boss is they forget that there's a whole bunch of things underneath them that they can't control, and mainly in the form of people, people you can't trust, whatever, et cetera, et cetera. And then there's the unforeseen circumstances, COVID, um, whatever it is, uh, supply chain issues, whatever. All those things, you either have to accept or part of your job or don't do it. And people get the pie in the sky and all they see are the good things about it and they see the money they can make, whatever it is, and, and they forget that there's a price to be paid for that money. If you want a big-time job, you got to have big-time responsibility. Now, that being said, without question, and I've studied them all and I've sat with them all and I've interviewed them all extensively and I've asked them all the questions and because I'm curious about this. I'm curious about what's the most difficult uh, uh, position to be a head coach or a manager. You know, is it hockey? Is it baseball where it's a 162 game grind and you're deciding who stays in the minors, who goes up to the big leagues on a weekly basis? Plus you go take the pitcher out and the pitcher and everything so he should come out of the game. You get the ball from him, all those things. And you're trying to develop a guy's swing and he's in a slump. All that, That's tough, man. That's taxing. Uh, in, in the NBA, you got, you know, three good players and, and, and the rest are role players if you got a great team. And, and you've and you got to sell those three players so that, that they believe in your system. And uh, if they don't, you lose the whole team and, and they see you as weak and they get you out of the locker room. All those things are true. But without question, the toughest head coaching position, I believe, is a head football coach in a Power 5 college conference, period. I think that is far and away the most difficult of any job that's out there. And and, and, the, and I think it's become even more difficult or easy. depends on how you are. If you're P.J. Fleck right now, you have to wake up every day and not know what 100 guys did last night, but you might find out and it might not be good. You have to live with that every day. You have to be able to put that fire out, whatever it is. You've got personal problems with kids that are at an age where they're going to have personal problems where maybe their mom and dad got a divorce. I remember Glenn Mason saying once, you know, if, um, 
if Johnny's not happy because uh, his buddy on the team, Phil, uh, went out with a, on a date last night and it turned out it was with Johnny's girlfriend, he said, then the head coach has a problem. Um, <laughs> he says, that problem becomes my problem. And in these Power Five conferences where you have to assess who you want to recruit, you have to build a coaching staff. You have to be able to bring in coaches that can not just X and O, but they can recruit and care about the kids. You have to identify who those coaches are. You have to sell them on your program. You have to bring them in here. Now you have to decide how to enter the transfer portal into it. So now you got to look at game tape of players in other colleges, decide whether or not they're good enough, decide how many scholarships you should offer high school kids versus college kids, uh, how many grad transfers you want in here. Who's uh, To me, it is the most exhausting, stressful job that there is, is to be a power five football coach. Now, on top of that, every time that you go out at night, every time you leave that building, you got to put a smile on your face. Because the community expects that from you. And oh yeah, no matter if you're having a good day or a bad day and you can't stand the alumni that you're meeting, you got to shake their hand and thank them for supporting the team, even though that guy drives you crazy. And you see him at every pep rally and he comes up to you and gives you advice every pep rally, you got to put a smile on your face. And then oh yeah, they might ask you to participate going out and trying to make the ask. The ask being whatever the donation is for whatever boy, sure help the football coach came out and made that ask. Without quite, you don't have to make any ask in the NFL. You don't have to study a transfer portal, assess, and then decide whether or not you want to move on that person. You draft. You try to sign the free agents that you can, restricted by a salary cap. But you spend most of your time after you've got the players figuring out personnel-wise how to maximize who they are. But when you are a college coach, you have to figure out who the players are. And the good and bad news is you, you can get 30 first-rounders if you're a good enough coach, you're not limited by the draft, but that puts a lot of pressure on you. And then the money is so big right now. And and, and, and the amount of money that, that, that and the pressure that they put on you, not just to sustain your football program, but to carry the day for the entire athletic department so that the non-revenue sports can exist. And if you're only selling half the tickets to your stadium and you're the football coach, Guess what? Volleyball team might not be going to Hawaii this year after all. And you feel that every day. And so of all the coaches that I've ever seen, you know, and, and, and P.J. Fleck, you know, people like him, they don't like him, whatever. But I got to tell you something. He's got one tough job. And so do all of his colleagues at the same level. When we come back, we'll talk college basketball. We'll talk Anthony Edwards with an NBA veteran. Stay with us. You might have missed it last night. If you did, you missed it because Anthony Edwards put on a show 40 points as the Timberwolves found a way to beat Portland uh, the first time in like 16 years. They've won twice at Portland. Now, it it didn't hurt that Damian Lillard was not playing for Portland because he's their star. But what is Anthony Edwards? Trent Tucker, how are you? Good, Mike. How are you? Good. Who uh, Who is Anthony Edwards? What's his ceiling? What do you see? Well, you know, the physical talent is there for sure. We all know that. And I think for him to become a consistent all-star type player, consistency on a nightly basis has to be there. And that would come with age and that would come with time. But 
when you talk about a guy that has a chance to be really, really good for a long time, he has the talent to do that. Okay, so when you're a young player like he, he's got this confidence. I, I, you know, today, today, last night after the game, he said, uh, "Not this year, but next year, I'll, I'll be ready to be the MVP of the league." I, I don't think he's trying to put it in anybody's face. I think he just says it because he kind of thinks that. I, I don't, I don't sense that he's a bad teammate, but you always have to be weary of that when you're in your second year. What do veterans want from a kid that has that much talent in terms of his persona? Well, they want him to, to kind of have that, that confidence that, you know, he can become the best player in the league. And he's a guy that, on a nightly basis, that you can depend on, you know, to have consistency on both ends of the floor. And, and also his practice habits and the things that he, that he does away from the game would also, would also go a long way and determine, you know, how good he's going to be over the next five to ten years. Does it help when you have uh, players around you that have so much money that they don't have to care about a lot of that stuff anymore? So it's not as if, hey, I'm not getting paid if uh, if he ends up being the star. Does that help to an extent that you, that you, you know these contracts are so enormous that that some players can just say, I'm, I don't care who's the best player because I got mine. Well, I, I think the contract goes out the door when you when you talk about being a competitor. Mm-hmm. The, the contracts are there. You know, they're going to get paid. They all know that. But once, you know, once you sign the deal, now it's all about playing and who becomes the best player and which guys can you count on on a nightly basis to get the job done, you know, to help the role players fit into a, to a situation where they can help you as well. You know, Mike, you know, you know as well as I do, a team is like a big puzzle. And you have to make sure you can that you can put all the right pieces to complete the puzzle, so you can find success. Now, Carl Anthony Towns was quick to point out that the the play for that it was goaltending that ended it that, that won it for the Wolves last night. D'Angelo Russell went in and got. He was quick to point out that they were running the play for him, but it just didn't materialize. So, so Russell was Plan B. Do you like Cats want the ball at the end of the game? Do you think he has the the, the right spirit that way? And, and and should they be isolating him for the final play, or should that go to Edwards? What what, what should that be? Well, you have to have you know a number one guy at the end of the game for sure and if he is the number one guy well yeah you want him to be confident that he can get it done but also you need two or three other guys you know that can perform in those situations as well because when the defense takes away option number one you have to be able to to expand your offense and find option number two and three and knowing that those guys are good enough to deliver in the, in the clutch. And do you think the Wolves have that right now? Do they have ample guys that can make plays? Or how, how would you categorize them? Or is it just three? Well, right now you, you always believe that you need two top guys and a third guy have to emerge. And when they brought over D'Angelo Russell, you know, he and Carl Anthony Towns, they were they was tagged as the, as the duo, as the dynamic duo that was going to carry this team. And now you drafted Anthony Edwards a year ago, so he has become, you know, that completion of uh, of the three of the three headed monster. And they believe they have three guys that they can go to at any given time. You know, they can put up big time numbers to to make things work. Sasha Gupton is now the uh, general manager with the dismissal of Gerson Rosas, of course, earlier. Trent Tucker, what what does he have to prove to prove that he deserves that job as the general manager? Well, to, to keep the team doing what they're doing now. And right now they are 
a play-in team, you know, at this stage being, I think, number seven in the Western Conference. There are so many teams that are so close together. So they know now they have to stay sharp and be consistent on a nightly basis and focus in on the things they have to do. Because one good week, Mike, you can go from seven to five. Yeah. Or a bad week the other way. And what back you 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 can go from seven to eleven. Yeah. So, and it's a good place for them to be because this team hasn't been in this situation for a very long time. I think the fans are very excited right now about where the team stands. Is because they believe they have a legitimate chance to be a playoff team for the first time in a long time. Now, if um, if you're trying to make a deal, then at the deadline to help yourself, what's the deal? What, what, what do you see? Who, who are you looking for? Who would you give up on this roster that has value? Well, if you can find a veteran, you know, they can come in off the bench and, and provide stability. A, a veteran I'll big man off. or what? Because they got Beverly as, as a guard and, and, and Beasley, I guess. Are, are they, guards, guards look like they're fortified, don't they? Well, you know, Beverly is, is, is a guy that, that his, playoff, his playoff success came from being on very, very good teams. So yep. he was he was never he was never, you know, the main guy as a veteran at playoff time to come in and get you fifteen, twenty points, you know, in a series. You need a veteran guy, you know, that can come in that has proven success as a playoff player, a guy that can help manage the locker room, keep the young guys focused, and someone, you know, that can elevate his play come playoff time. So do you go searching for uh, a number four, a number five, a big guy that shot blocker protects the rim? Is that what you're looking for? You know, you're looking for a guy that can do a little bit of everything, you know, and I don't think the position matters at this time. Mm. Uh, so you're looking for a guy that can give you a punch. You know, when I was in Chicago, you know, we were looking for veteran guys that could come in and play behind the starters. And whether it was playing behind Michael Jordan or Scottie Pippen, or B.J. Armstrong, you know, you wanted guys that could come in and function. We know, we knew that we weren't going to get, you know, 15 to 20 minute runs. It was going to be four or five minutes here or there. And, and can those guys function within those four or five minute spans so that the team doesn't lose any steam? Or can these guys give us a boost and put us up by six or eight points before the starters come back in? Now, now, were guys that came over, were they scared of Michael Jordan when they got there? What, what, what were they like? No. I mean, because, you know, you always respect the best player. And you know who the best player is. The only thing you're trying to do now is to play your role. And you know that at some point in time, if you're good enough to be on a team that has a chance to win the championship, your number will get called, and you just want to make sure that you're ready to deliver. You're not going to get a lot of time, Mike, you know, to get yourself together. So that's why it's great to have veteran guys on the team because when they have a limited playing time, they know how to take care of themselves off the court so that when their number is called, they can step in and perform. Uh, go for basketball. Uh, big win uh, over the weekend. Uh, a depleted lineup, and they find a way to beat Rutgers uh, tomorrow night. They get Ohio State. Uh, assess this year and 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 what what you see. And uh, again, it's it's a strange place that they're at because they're going to lose a lot of these guys that they got from the transfer portal. So they have to kind of reload it. But but are they on track? Do you like the style that they play? What do you see? It's been a great year so far. You know, no one expected them, you know, to, to win as many games that, as they have won. 
No one expected them to compete against some of the better teams in in the Big Ten. You know, you go in into Ann Arbor, you knock off Michigan. Uh, you play Michigan State right down to the last possession. You knock off a Rutgers team, you know, that, like you mentioned, the team was depleted. So Ben Johnson and his staff, those guys have done a very good job uh, elevating, uh, elevating this team play to where they're competitive on most nights. Okay, so if you're sitting where they are right now, you got three, four freshmen coming in next year. Uh, and, the, and the Big Ten is kind of a marquee conference because they, they, they've got the Big Ten network and they've got national TV. Would, would you sit and go, hey, enough with the freshmen. Let, let's find out what's Let's get this transfer portal thing going and, and, and let's find some juniors and seniors and grad transfers that are playing down there at, uh, you know, Georgia Southern and, and uh, uh, Texas Corpus Christi, you know, that, that, that star that's down there that could, could come up and give us some minutes or that, that, that 23-year-old that's 6'9 and 240. What direction would you go with the program? You know, right at this stage, nothing is off the table. If I believe I have freshmen right now who are good enough Coming in next year, they can play significant minutes and make a huge impact. You know, at the Big Ten level, we could go that way. If I evaluate these guys, you know, after the season is over, and I think that we need to make a change and look at some veteran guys. So right now, I'm, I'm looking, I'm looking at every situation that I can find to find a way to make my team better. I was talking to a coach the other day, and he said, you know, it takes these kids because they're so technological, you know, they've grown up with it. Uh, that, that kid that's a shooter for, uh, you know, Florida International, he can figure out what teams need him in in about 30 minutes, you know, because all he's got to do is plug in the video clips and see, you know, who has a need for it, who, who has bad three-point percentages, all those things. Uh, so, so you're going to get some play there where kids are selling themselves. When, when you were recruited, uh, I'm trying to think, of, you know, Terry Kunze and the group that looked at I mean, I mean, they basically they, they they had to come and see you in the high school or where at, at a summer camp or where would they see you to 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 evaluate you? You know, you know, back then, Mike, you know, there were no rules, and you know, guys could recruit you twenty four seven, seven days a week, mm-hmm. three hundred sixty five days a year. Yep. And and if you were considered to be a Division one prospect, you know, the assistant coaches they lived out in front of your house. And you knew who they were because they all had, you know, rent, you know, they had all went out and rented Cadillacs from the rental car companies. So huh. they were the only guys that was driving Cadillacs at that time. <laughs> so you, you, it was easy to see if they were a college coach out there, huh? So, but, but right. how did, how did they, were there evaluations, you know, I mean, they didn't even videotape then even for crying out loud. Would it be based, would they have to go see you play a high school game? Would, would, would they look at you at a camp? Could they work you out on their own? Could they say, hey, come down to the gym and I want to see what you got? How, how would they go about that? Well, you know, coming to watch you in, in high school games, evaluate you doing summer camps, summer clinics. So back then, a lot of, you know, assistant coaches spent a, a ton of time on the road. And, 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 and that was the only way that you were, you were able to come out and see a player. Because like you said, you know, so many things now electronic where, you know, coaches can, can watch players here and there and do this and do that. But at, but at this stage where we are right now, is that it's great that coaches don't have to travel as much to see players, but when I was when I was coming up, Mike, you know, coaches spend a ton of time on the road watching players. 
And, you know, I would imagine, you know, they all got sizzle reels now. Kids, once they get to be about a sophomore, they've got enough plays that they can put together a pretty good reel. I'd love to have seen your sizzle reel if you had one back in the day, Trent, because I got to believe you're out there at around half court. Or because you were tall, did you have to play underneath a little bit? No, you know, I knew that I wasn't going to grow to be, you know, 6'10 or 6'11. So even though at times I may have been the tallest guy on my team, you know, growing up as a as a middle school kid or first year in high school, I always worked on my guard skills because I, I just, I knew I wasn't going to be, you know, the size of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and that if I was going to have the chance to play high-level basketball at the high school, it would have to be at the guard position. Last question, uh, Ohio State tomorrow, 50 years ago last night, the, the famous fight at Williams Arena uh, in 1972. That was well beyond, before uh, you were recruited to the University of Minnesota, but it was it was a part of what evolved into in, in the, the, the Bill Musselman issues and problems, etc. Do, do you remember any of that or that being a part you know, the recruiting process? Did Minnesota have a bad name because of that and because of the Musselman stuff? Or, 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 or had that been so far removed in the matter of a few years that that it didn't even register with you? It didn't even register. You know, and it was funny, my, my father-in-law, who was at that basketball game during that time, you know, he was, he spoke to me yesterday about the situation and the incident that took place. Yeah, and so, and, um, but, you know, my, my recruiting trip weekend uh, in October 1977 was a, you know, was a, was a great recruiting trip weekend. You know, because the kid growing up in Michigan you know, you always root for the Michigan Wolverines football team. Yeah. And that weekend, the University of Michigan was playing Minnesota, and the University of Michigan at that time was ranked number one in the country. You were at that game? And I was at that game. That was my recruiting trip weekend. The, the day the Gophers shut out the number one team in the country? I was at that game. I was at the, That was my recruiting trip weekend, and when I... You know, after the weekend was over and, and I saw Minnesota knock off the number one team in the country led by Rick Leach, I said, you know what? You know, this may not be a bad place to go to school at. And, and, and the coach at Michigan at the time was who, Orr? Uh, Johnny Orr was the coach at, at Michigan. Bill Frieder, the, the assistant, or what? was the head coach of football, huh? Bill Frieder, the assistant? Yeah, Bill Frieder uh, coached my brothers in high school. So I, wow. I, I knew him. And you still said no. Very, very young. And, you know, Minnesota was, you know, when I grew up in Michigan, you know, I wasn't really heavily recruited by Michigan or Michigan State until the end. Uh, once Michigan had once Magic McGee. said, go get that guy, man. Yeah, you know, Michigan had Mike McGee who played my position, and at that time he was the Big Ten freshman of the year. Okay. And, and Johnny Orr said, I'd love to have you. Now, if you want to come in and fight, and fight for minutes against Mike McGee, believe me, if you want to accept the scholarship, we're not going to turn you down. Yep. But I'm just Michigan telling you State, what you're up against, huh? Yeah, and Michigan State was looking at two other guys, and they had me third. Okay. Behind a guy from Detroit and a guy from Pontiac, Michigan. And okay. they had me third. So we all went to play in a high school tournament up in Ohio. And we had a Michigan All-Star team, and, and they came – they came down to watch the guy who they had ranked number one. And after that tournament, I get back to Flint. My phone is buzzing. It's the assistant coach from Michigan State. He was saying that we would like to, to come to Flint and, and visit with you and your family ASAP. I was like, okay, well, why? 
He said, well, after this weekend, we think that you are the number one prospect in the state of Michigan. You could have played by with that, Magic? I could have. But that, by, that, by, that, by that time, Mike, I had already committed to Jim Dutch in the University okay. of Minnesota. Okay. And the yeah. rest is history, as they say. The lottery yeah. pick Tucker. Hey, Trent, thank yeah. you so much. Always good to visit with you, my friend. I hope I see you out at the health club soon. Okay. Anytime, Mike. You bet. Trent Tucker, nice enough to join us. A News Talk 830. WCCO. I had a long conversation today with a uh, college basketball coach about how you go about recruiting these days. And it was a fascinating conversation as to how it's changed. You don't even recognize it compared to what it used to be. I'll explain when we come back. So let's just say, hypothetically, you're the Gophers right now. And, and you're losing some of these guys to the transfer portal and you got a freshman class coming in. What would you do? Because now you're starting to get some street cred out there. You win the game or two, you're able to point to people and say, hey, kick, peek at us, we're, we're still playing, we're still significant, uh, we play for big stakes, big arenas. Uh, I'm not so sure you, you don't hold off on going too young and say, let, let, let's just see if there's somebody at, you know, fill in the blank, Arizona Western that's, uh, you know, now six, he arrived at school 6'8", uh, 200 pounds, and now he's 6'8", 245. And he's got a Big Ten body, and and it's, it's built. You know, he he can he can endure it. He can take it in the paint. Uh, he can give up four fouls, um, or that point guard, that 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 kid was that was five eleven coming out of high school. And he said, "Yeah, he's not going to play in the Big Ten. Instead of going to a junior college, he went to you know Northeastern, and, and now he's tough as nails, and he's he's quick, and he's game ready, and and." He, he can start for you next year, and he can be like a Peyton Willis next year, like Peyton has been this year. I don't know what you do, man, but I wouldn't get too many freshmen. I sure wouldn't go get a bunch of high school kids if you're in the Big Ten because the Big Ten's going to be able to pick and cherry-pick all these kids from the mid-majors and say, hey, come, we got a spot for you. Come play here. P.J. Atherton is an interesting dude. He played hockey, and now he, in a, in a sense, he coaches hockey from his living room in the NHL as he assesses the video of games for clients that play in the NHL. It's a fascinating, fascinating way to make a living. He'll enlighten us when we come back. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates – Price and coverage match limited by state law. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.